I have a message today for fathers, and it's this. Fathers, write your own story. Fathers, write your own story. Your story is your life. Your story is your legacy. Your story is the influence you leave on those in your life that call you father or that you mentor and leave the greatest impact on. Now, let me just give you some stats, and these are only up through 2015. They're worse than, way worse than this about fathers in our nation. So we see here some facts. Uh, so overall, emotional well-being and stuff is better when children are in a home with their father. Uh, let's see here. Let me get to some good ones down here. Children who live with their dads do better in school. Uh, adolescent teen boys who live with their dads are less likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Um, involved dads reduce, well, obviously, mom's parenting stress, at least with kids anyway, right? Uh, oh, it's nearly over one-third. Uh, it, it, we actually did the average. It's about 57 or 51 or 2%. What was it? 53% of children today live in fatherless homes. 53% of our nation. African-Americans, I think, was 75%. Latinos, 57%. Whites, 37 38%. Now, that's not counting with their father. That's with any father in the home. So our nation has over 50% divorce rate. So how many more are with their, legit, their, their birth father, right? Uh, children, with, uh, children that live with their father are 40, 47% less likely to live in poverty. Men who are raised with an absentee father are more likely to become an absentee father themselves. Women with absentee fathers are more likely to have children with absentee fathers. Boys who have their behavior problems and girls have, their, have fewer behavior problems, boys and girls, when, they're involved, when their dads are involved in their lives. Get this, infant death. Who would ever thought this? Infant death within the first 28 days of life is four times higher with those children born and their fathers absent. You tell me the devil's not in this stuff, people. You got to realize you're fighting an unseen enemy called the devil. Uh, father absenteeism is obviously blamed for, is the blame for a lot of things. We got over 20 million children living in fatherless homes right now. Uh, well, I guess that's, that's, that should be enough to get you going here. I was going to see. There was another one I wanted to see. 92% of parents in prison are fathers. Okay. So anyway, let me get going here. So I think that lets us know, even in the natural, how important it is for we fathers to write our own story. So what I want you to realize, dads, and you dads here, dads out there, everywhere we're speaking to, what I want you to realize is you have probably the most significant role in your child's life in a lot of areas, both you and your the mother or partners, but there's certain things a mother can give, a father can't give, there's certain things a father can give that a mother can't give. So you're both equally important, but there's certain deficiencies that if you're not involved in their life, stuff happens. How many in here... How many men in here, how many, how many men in here were raised in the home throughout your childhood with your father, with your birth father? How many were not? I wasn't. So how many totally in this room were not raised in a home with your birth, 
birth father. Raise your hands, all of you. Look at that. So that shows us what we're dealing with. So now, no matter, here's a few things I want to say. If I sit here talking to you, or the way I talk to my boys is, is this. What you say to your kids has a great impact. But what dads need to realize often, what is not said by you has a greater impact. What you say has an impact, but often what you do not say has a greater impact on their lives than what you do say. And put it this way, if you say it and don't live it, that's even worse than not saying it. So it's very important for we as fathers, if we want to leave a legacy and we want to raise children that are going to be living beyond us. Now, this is not just for your children now. I'm talking about any season in life. They may have their own grandkids. If you're still here, I want you to realize, Dad, nobody has the role that you have in your son or daughter's life, even if they have their own children today. So don't don't let yourself off the hook like, well, I did this or I did that. And here's the key to that. Your children, whether they're 6, 16, or 60, need room to make mistakes. We need to give our, you know, a lot of times we're harder on our own kids than we are kids we teach or coach or in our lives. So it's important for you to realize, just like you need it and I need it, our children, no matter what age they are, they need space to mess up. They need space to make mistakes. Mistakes, because when you need to teach your son or daughter this truth, when you fail does not make you a failure. Why do we treat our kids a lot of times when they fail a class or they fail in something or they mess something up or they say something stupid or do something stupid and what do we do? We call them stupid. When you label someone stupid, when you label someone crazy, when you label someone with other than what they are, you dehumanize them. When you're telling your kids you're a, you're a troublemaker, you're, you're driving me crazy, you're this or that, you just took the human value of them being, you don't feel that way, but you just said it at that moment. But to that son or daughter, it can easily make them internalize that they're a problem, they're, they're a fear, they're an anger, they're something other than your son or your daughter in human form. Now, we all, as fathers, say stupid stuff. I know, Parker, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But I do, right? And we do stupid things. So, dads, here's what you need to do. Instead of giving up, shutting up, clamming up, hiding out, give yourself space to say something stupid. Give yourself space to do something stupid. Because that's just what dads do. Some of the closest times I have my boys is when they're laughing at me and I do something stupid or say something stupid. And, you know, it's kind of like, ah, Steph loves it. But anyway, (laughs) hey, did she look hot up here today? I'm just saying. That's what running three to, you know, two to four miles five days a week could do for you. I'm doing mine a different way. But anyway, so... (laughs) So, the key is if you're going to write your own story is this. You want to write a story you want to celebrate. You want to write a story that when you leave this earth, 
you're happy and you're pleased that you wrote it. So no matter what situation, no matter what problem you're working through with your child, remember this. Remember this. Love them in the beginning. Love them in the middle. And love them in the ending. Of whatever the circumstance is, whatever the trial is. I, I, I told this story and got choked up on one of our coaching calls for our leadership team here. And I said, uh, well, we got kids in here, but you'll understand your pastor's not perfect. I'm not going to curse, but you'll understand. Probably not. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, see, if you're awake out there, you're awake out there, don't fall off your couch. You got coffee in your hand or something. You should be all right out there. So... I'll never forget, you know, my father, my stepfather had for a couple years, and then he was killed in a coal mine accident when I was 13, was in the mines eight months before they could get his body out. And we had lived in another city. We'd moved back home. I loved sports. I'd went to another high school in another county to play sports, basketball, and I was a freshman on the JV team and all that. Right after basketball camp that summer, I had a motorcycle wreck, being stupid, trying to scare a friend, hit a dog that came out between the car, threw him in a yard, and I stayed on the bike and broke my leg. So I had a cast up to here, and you didn't have the treatment therapy you have now, so my knee was stiff, all that. So I had to quit basketball. never got to play again in high school competitively. And I did get to play baseball going into my junior year. But I was out of sports for a few years. Well, I'm out of sports for a few years. My big brother's in Korea. The rest of my family's pretty well grown. I'm here with mom and my little sister, and I'm pretty depressed. We moved back home. I start partying, you know, I start doing things I shouldn't do, smoking dope and jumping rope. They hear it anyway. You, you just, it's on their phone, believe me. So anyway, so I'll never forget, but one thing I did, I'd never want to hurt my mom. I always loved my mom because she always loved me. Now, she'd get on me, she'd spank me, she'd do so, but, you know, we loved, we just had such an intimate love. And I'll never forget, she was saved and was going to a little Nazarene church and where I ended up getting saved at. And the school superintendent of schools, Mr. Branham, a very nice gentleman, uh, he was the superintendent of all the schools in the county, went to her church, he'd get up and sing hymns, just a sweet, nice guy, right? And there was a principal and other teachers in her little church, there wasn't that many people at that time, probably 60 people in church on a Sunday morning. So everybody knew everybody, right? So I get to hanging out with my buddy, and he says, hey, I got some reefer. You want to, want to buy some pot? And I'm like, I don't know. You want to buy some? Yeah, sure, I'll buy some pot. I don't even know if it's pot. It didn't look like horse weed. I thought it, you know, I didn't know. So he gave me a little old thing and a little cigarette clear wrapper, and I folded it up. I gave him like a few bucks. He gave it. So I'm like, why do I do this? I got to go to class. I got to go to class. I got to go to class. I don't know if I told you all this. I got to go to class. So I had a calculator. So I took the battery. This is how much he gave me. I took the battery out and put that little bit that stuck in the thing, and I closed it and put it in my locker. That wasn't a bad idea. I think I'm safe, right? About 45 minutes later, they come get me out of class. The principal takes me to my locker. Open your locker. Why? Come to find out the kid was new to our school, and he was a, you know, an ARC, an informant, right? I didn't know it. So, 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 and he saw where I put it. said, open it. I said, oh, okay, they can't find it. Oh, yeah, what? Opens it, it goes right in, opens my What's this, Dalton? I'm like, uh-oh, you know. So we go to the office, and I'm just sitting there thinking, he's telling me this is going to happen, and we got the police coming. We're going to do this and that. And I'm just like, oh, God, my mom, she's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. So I'll never forget, the police come, interview me. And then back then, you know, you're instantly out and definitely at school back then when you did that. So I go home with mom. I go to my room, and I'm in there going, oh, God, 
idiot, you idiot. Because they said, you'll be out two weeks, and then you go in front of the board. Well, I'm thinking, Mr. Branham, you know, member of her church is the superintendent. You know, what she, you know. So we go through all that, and then about 30 minutes later, she comes into my room, sits down. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get it. And she gets kind of choked up. And she said, I just want you to know that no matter what, I love you. I loved you before this. I love you now. I love you after this. You know what you did wrong. You really hurt me. And I pray you don't ever do this to me again. And I love you. I'll stand with you to get through this. And walks out. Well, I'm bawling, you know. But that one act of grace put such a bond with us. I, you know, I got this, but she said, you're grounded. Forget getting your license for another six months. Forget this and that. I mean, I got grounded and all that. And she went and stood with me in front of these people she knew and, and dealt with this situation. And, and what did that do for me? That was my mom, right? Imagine if a father did that. So what we need to understand is the things we say and don't say are so significant. And the actions we carry out are significant. So she left things like that as a legacy for me that challenged me as a father when there are sometimes I'm thinking I might risk going to prison because I'm getting ready to beat somebody that I'll say, well, my God, if my mom put up with me, Lord, what they're doing is not that bad, which they never did. I don't know. I haven't got caught doing stuff I did. I don't think they did. So, did a gab? Does, is he all right? Just so anyway, so, so what I want you to realize, guys, is especially men, the impact you have on the people you influence and the legacy you leave. So no matter what their problem is, no matter what the circumstance is, what you think, what other people think, there's always a third option. The third option is the God option, right? And I'm going to talk about that at the end of the message. But before I do, let's look at how Jesus used the God option. Look at me in Mark 11, beginning in verses 27, beginning in verse 27, and we're going to see Jesus setting up the God, everybody say the God option. All you dads out there, you need to know the God option. So here Jesus is performing miracles, doing all this thing, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, are trying to cross him up so they can stone him or do something like that, right? So it says in verse 27, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. And they said, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority? Remember, at, at that point was when he cursed the fig tree. And it, the next day, 24 hours later, is dead. And he gave him about faith. And he said, you know, faith is like a mustard seed. With a mustard seed, you can move that mountain into the sea. And then he went on and said, talked about forgiveness and all that. And they're like, they're like by what authority are you doing these things? So Jesus could easily just said, I'm God, you're not. <laughs> Let me show you. Let me call my angels down. But he didn't. And when they asked him that, here's what Jesus, how he replied. He said, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And if you can answer me, that's bold, isn't it? Because you could give any answer, right? If you answer me, I will answer your question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. They're like, okay. So here's what he said. He said, first of all, let's see, said, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, I will ask one question, answer me, and, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. They discussed among themselves, 
and said, if we say he did it, if, he, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why, why didn't we believe him? So he said, you all answer it first, then I'll answer it. And they said, so if we say he's got this authority from heaven, then what? Then, uh, then why didn't we believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So he said, by, oh, I, I skipped that. So he said, why did, why did John, do you believe John the Baptist had, had this authority to baptize, right? So then verse 33 says, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. So in other words, they thought it through and thought, if I give this answer, you know, we're going to put him in the position he wants to be. And if we give it, which is the truth, if I do this other answer, we could get stoned because the people will be upset and knowing the authority of John the Baptist if we come against him. And then what did Jesus say? Neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things. Now, later on over in this, later on over in this, Jesus began, they asked Jesus, trying to trick him, said, well, what do you believe one of the Ten Commandments is the greatest commandment? And he said this, the most, verse 29, the most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, that our Lord our God is one. But here it is. He said, here is, number one, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, they could go along with that. They're religious people, so that kind of goes with what their belief system, right? He said, the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, none of the others, greater than these. One is like the other. They're one, basically. So, what was he saying? It's one thing. They could understand loving God and putting God first because a lot of times they could do inhumane things like try to stone a woman in adultery, try to excommunicate a Samaritan woman because she had been a prostitute and all these things, right? They could could just kind of live out their beliefs and what they think. Because here's the thing you got to realize, guys, is we don't always accept people that look different than us, live different than us, or have different beliefs than us. But what I want you to realize, when you are raised in a fatherless nation, whether you had a father in your home or a healthy father in your home or not, all of us live in this world together And what we believe and what we think about anything affects one another. And so your beliefs are so critical because your belief is your reality. Whatever you perceive to be true, unless someone else can convince you or prove to you that it's not true, then you're going to believe it's true. Especially when we see things, right? When we hear things. So it's really critical that you and I, especially in a time in our nation, living in a fatherless nation where there's more of us raised in a home without a father than those with a father, that's not accounting raised in a home with an addicted or abusive father or or a non-participant father. But I'm talking about in general. So just imagine probably 25% of the people in our nation is even raised by a healthy father in a healthy home. So the key is that you and I have to realize that there is 
a third options. So we live by what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about others. That's the way we live, right? So I have a certain point of view of me and what my beliefs are and how I appear to people and all that, just as you do. But that doesn't mean my perception is your reality. Your reality might be better or worse of me. Mine might be better or worse of me than you have of me. But the thing I realized, Jesus left no gray area. I mean, think about how radical this is. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And all your strength. In other words, your energy, your momentum, your vigor, whatever it is about you, all of it. All is what? All is how much? All is all. Oh, all is whole. And we as fathers, if we are going to live a life and a healthy legacy that's going to be carried on, not only with our children and our children's children, others we influence and impact, if we're, if we're going to do that and live that kind of legacy, I can't raise a family that's whole until I'm whole myself. So our goal is to become whole. Remember John chapter 17. What? Jesus' final prayer request. What was it? His prayer request was, Father, I'm not going to take them out. I'm not praying you take them, us, out of the world. But I'm praying you keep them in the world. But, Father, I'm praying that they become one as you and I are one. Now, how many of you believe God the Father and the Son, Jesus, our Lord, were tight? I believe they give the image of what a father should be and what a child, a son or daughter should, the kind of relationship that they can be truthful, that they can be intimate, that they can, be, they can, they can have knowledge and wisdom to give to their child and learn from their child as well. So, so it's so powerful because when Jesus said, if they can become one as we are one, then they will show the world the reason I came and who you are so they can become children. Now, now, why is that so important? The reason, guys, listen to me, and I'm just talking to you. The reason, guys, I'm telling you this that little two-letter word, that little article is so crazy. As means the same. One. Whole. What Jesus was saying, the church, the remnant people, who is the bride of Christ? Those that live, have Jesus as Lord and Savior and have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're born, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not when you shake a preacher's hand, not when you're baptized. When you are born again, blood-bought, when, when your spirit is, is, is in, 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 in connection with God the Father, with Jesus, you're saved by grace. Jesus is grace through faith. And when you are born again, your old man who was a lot dead spirit is now rebirth. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? He said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He's like, I'm an old man. How can I go back in my mother's womb? She's deceased. And he says, well, let's put it this way. You, you must be born again, washed by the water of the word to see the kingdom of God. So Jesus just took it to a whole nother level. Not entering the kingdom's one thing, but seeing the kingdom is the next level. Everybody say the next level. A lot of the church and the body of Christ 
have entered the kingdom. If they die, they're going to go to heaven. They've already accepted Jesus and so on. But the problem that I believe we, the church, face, and where we're at right now, we don't see the kingdom. Oh, yes, pastor, I know what holiness is. I know what tithing is. I know what faithfulness and attending is. I know what serving is. I know what, you know, well, no, no, no. Not just talking about some of the things you do. I'm talking about when you talk about seeing, you're talking about your perception. Because what you see is your reality. What I see is my reality. And everything you see and I see, what do we do? And we all eat ice cream. Whatever you see and I see, what do we do? We give it its own meaning. And when we give it its own meaning, where does that meaning come from? Our life experiences, what we know, what we think we know, what we've heard. And so whatever I see, that's why magicians, you know, that can do magic, they're not really doing magic. They're deceiving you to make you perceive that you see something you didn't see. Right? That's how they make a living. And that's the way Satan is. He's that unseen realm moving the chips, moving the shells, whatever, trying to get you to think we see things we don't see. But even if we see them, we still should grace others. True grace is if I love you as my neighbor. Jesus didn't say the neighbors that believe like you, the neighbors that live like you, the neighbors that look like you, the neighbors that are where you're from. No, no, no. He didn't say you know, your poor neighbors or your rich neighbors. He didn't say you're saved or unsaved. He didn't say Muslim, atheist. You know, he could have been more specific, couldn't he? In other words, who is your neighbor? On the count of three, tell me, who is your neighbor? One, two, three. Everyone, anyone. Anyone can be your neighbor. Anyone can move next to you. That's your neighbor. Whoever you're in relationship with, who, whoever you come in contact with in proximity of, what? Becomes your neighbor. And he said, if we're going to love one another, not even talking about the world, you and I, the church, if we're going to even, the problem is the church doesn't even really love one another. We're divided. Different, you know, we, some divide over, you know, is it oneness or three? Some divide over, is it, do you baptize to be saved or not? Or do you sprinkle or do you immerse? We, the church is broken up over so many silly things. And the church does what people do. The church hangs out with people like them. I mean, if you come into a large gathering, it's a get-together, it's a party, you're kind of new to maybe this area, and you've been invited to a neighborhood party, but you know a few people that you kind of like, and you're like, yeah, I can, and there's 50 people in the room, who are you going to first go to? So you'll go to the people that you perceive are like you, then you might work your way out in the room, or hope somebody invites you out in the room. But see what Jesus is saying, you don't get to choose just to hang out with people like you. Well, I just don't like hanging out with those people who are not saved. They curse and they party and they, they tell dirty Egypt. Jesus said, you don't get to have a choice. He said, you got to do what I do. 
What did Jesus do? Jesus just has these great spiritual moments. And then he goes up to Matthew, the tax collector, and says, let's go to your house and have a party. I'm going to go to your party. You want to have a party? He goes to the little short guy. What was the little short guy? Huh? He goes to little Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus is known as like the head of the mob. He's the tax collector, but he's the one that's got all the stuff going on in his house, the parties and all the lifestyle, and he's the most hated guy. He was so bad, they said, you, even though you're a tax collector and you're Jewish, you're collecting all this wealth and ripping all of us off, we're not even going to let you come worship in our temple. That's like saying, you're so bad and evil, we're not going to let you attend our church. Even though you supposedly came from us, we're still not going to let you attend our church. And then Jesus rocks him and says, uh, hey, uh, what's up, man? And he begins to talk to him. And then Jesus said, well, I want to go to your house tonight. What? You go to my house? Yeah, I want to go to your house. And when he gets to the house, and there's all people from different lifestyles with kids in here. I won't get into all that. Y'all know what I'm talking about at home in here. All different lifestyles. And, and Zacchaeus stands up. And somebody said, are you standing? Because he's short, right? Yes, he's standing. Just said if you were awake. And he's standing. And he gives a toast. And he says, I just want you to know, I want to welcome my Lord here. Our Lord is here today. And the, the Jewish law, this has been a long time since I preached this. The Jewish law, I think, was you had to restore, if you stole something, you had to restore that plus 20% or something, 50, what, five times what it was or something like that, whatever it was, is a law. And he said, I want you to know everything I've taken from everyone in this city, I'm going to restore back so many folds, which it superseded way beyond what the Jewish law was that he had to command. And everybody was astonished. But Jesus still had critics. What happened there? Jesus went to someone not at all like him or like the people he drew with him and didn't invite him to his party, but invited himself to Zacchaeus' party. Didn't invite him to come to his territory, his turf where he feels comfortable, but he went out on a limb Zacchaeus is on a limb, right? He's too short trying to see Jesus. So he went out on a limb like Zacchaeus, even more than Zacchaeus, and went to his house where good, devout, holy people would never go, right? He didn't preach to Zacchaeus. He didn't say, this is what you must do to be saved. Zacchaeus asked him, what must I do to be saved? He, he, did, he, he didn't have to pound, you know, let me show you my integrity so you might get a glimpse of what integrity is. What did he do? He just did a couple kind things and made Zacchaeus his neighbor. And when he did, it didn't just affect, listen, it didn't just save Zacchaeus. It restored all the wealth and the money of that city and region that he had stolen and was holding to himself and using it for all these ungodly things and not counting giving it to Romans, but using it for all this other stuff because he stole way above that. And it brought a great impact on the whole community. So it's not always what we say, and it's not even always what we do, it's what we see. 
Jesus saw something different in Zacchaeus than even Zacchaeus saw it himself. I'm sure he thought, I'm a traitor. Even the priest hates me. The pastor, everybody hates me. I can't even go to church. I might as well party with their money. Drive their cars, use their boats. Drink their wine, eat their food. Because I can. But there was another option. There was an option that Zacchaeus didn't know of. He only knew I'm good or bad. I'm in church or I'm out of church. I'm like the church folks or I'm not. So I already chose not to be, so I'm out. He didn't know the third option. The third option was you could allow Jesus to come into your life and restore you and your household. Not just for this earth, but for eternity. And leave a legacy that you never dreamt was even possible. That, that through you, every time you walk down the street with a smile on your face, whistling and singing and giving stuff away, people go, man, that Jesus, how did he do that? He did that by making Zacchaeus his neighbor. So Jesus is saying, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. He's saying, but if you don't, if you do love him, you think you do, but you cannot love your neighbor as yourself, then you don't love the Lord God, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. I was asked one time by someone in a conversation set up about they, they had a ministry and they were having some family stuff going and said, well, well, you know, what about you and your kids? I said, what do you mean, what about my kids? Well, what if, you, what if your kids decided, you know, to go cross town and work for another pastor? Another minister? I said, well, fine. As long as it's a healthy place, I'm fine. I'll re- no, you wouldn't. I said, oh, yeah, I would. I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, why wouldn't I? Because you're supposed to put God first. I said, exactly. Kind of grab their chin for a second. Well, that's not putting God first. That's not putting the ministry first. Oh, that's a different question. He didn't say, thou shalt put your ministry before your wife and your kids. He said, put nothing or no one before him. Because if you put him first, your wife, your kids, and your ministry will be healthy. He never called me to a ministry to take me away from my number two duty. My number one is to make him my Lord and my Savior. My number two is not only to love him as myself, but to love my own kids as myself and to serve them and to love my wife and to serve her. If I put ministry before Stephanie or ministry before my sons, they're not going to just hate ministry. They're going to hate God. So many people blame their junk on God. Well, well, why are you doing making a stupid decision to go here to do that? You don't have the finances. Well, the Lord said. When they tell me the Lord said, you know what I do? You probably know, Sean. You probably heard. I, okay, you and the Lord are going to do fine. God bless you. Because I'm not going to sit here and try to convince someone that God did Because God might have said. I'll just stand back and say, well, if it's of God, it'll make it. If it's not, don't call me. You can call and come back. You're welcome. But, but don't blame it on me. You, you want, you go for it. What is it? That's loving my neighbors myself. 
That means I give people I love that are making stupid spiritual decisions space to be stupid. Did y'all hear that out there? Anybody stupid on your sofa? Yeah, give somebody a high five. You can do it. You're at home. Don't do it if you're in a car. You can do it. As a spiritual father, I got to give spiritual sons and daughters I love, or at least people that hang out in my house that haven't made me dad, but they just kind of hang out. I got to give them space to say stupid stuff. I got to give them space to do stupid things. You know why? They're in my proximity. They're my neighbor. And if I truly love God with all my heart, now that doesn't mean I don't give correction or, or my perception, which I haven't always given the best advice either, but I do my best according to word and what I think, what I know. But even that, I always got to realize I could be wrong because I could come into something with my own will and way and perception and to try, oh, you ever had anybody try to protect you and make it worse? I've done that before, try to protect somebody and make it worse. They end up hating me anyway. I mean, that's a pretty high standard Jesus gave love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he said, even if their beliefs don't line up with your beliefs. And not only beliefs. Now, when I say beliefs, you think rules, right? You think my belief for love, my belief for salvation, my belief for the Holy Spirit, my belief for prosperity, my belief for politics, my belief for this or that. Your beliefs, really, you know what they are? What you see. A lot of people say they have beliefs until they're tested and everybody sees they don't believe what they said they believe. But what I really believe is what I see. When I say I believe in someone, it's what I see in someone. Not what I say about someone. Just do this and your head will stop spinning and So the only one that can control what I believe is me. God can try to get through to me, but he says the Holy Spirit is gentle and kind. He's not going to overrule me. He's going to let me assess it and make a decision. Jesus died for everyone, even those that choose never to come to him, right? And rose again for everyone. So he's gentle. He's kind. He's going to allow Dalton to work that thing out. And give me every tool and do everything he can. But I still have to be willing to see myself as I am, not as I think I am. That's why the, the first key to this house, principle of this house, is everybody belongs. What, what do you mean? What, what, what if they're gay or lesbian? They belong. We love them just as they are, not as we think they should be. But God says, well, then are you God? Now, I preach that we're to be married to one man, one man to a woman, and vice versa. I preach all that stuff. So you know my beliefs. But just because I don't believe in what I say the Scripture is, uh, says that I don't believe, I believe homosexuality and, and all that is a sin, and I think it's very clear in the Bible but that doesn't mean I'm going to treat them any less than I do any Christian or servant in this house. I'm going to love them just as they are. I'm going to see them as God sees them. Obviously, the Holy Spirit drove, drew them to the church, so am I going to run them away because they don't believe what I believe? Well, you know what? There's a lot of you who don't believe what I believe, and I don't believe what a lot of you believe. When you just, let's just get it out there and get down and start writing it. Well, what do you believe on and make a list? We, we're going to be off. 
Because my perception is my reality. Your perception is your reality. But then there's that third option, grace, where we grace one another. So Jesus says when they, the church, you, me, all the people that calls Jesus Lord, become one. Then all those that are not in the church or born again can see you and me for who we are. So if we're really going to show people who Jesus is and and what he's about, then we need to see him the way he is. So now let's come to where we are now. I believe the reason the world is so crazy is because the church is so divided. You know, Sunday morning is the most well-known, segregated hour or two or whatever it is now, 30 minutes or three hours or four hours in America. So we have... Black churches, white churches, Asian churches, Hispanic churches. Uh, we have, you know, Unitarian, Trinitarian, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, all these different churches out here, right? People generally gravitate to people they perceive are like them. And any church you were in before this church, you perceived they were like you or you perceived you wanted to be like them and you found out what they were and decided you didn't want to be like them so you went to another church. Or they found out you weren't like them and in a kind way without really saying it, ran you off by the way they treated you. Is that true? Right? This is daddy speaking, so, you know. It's Father's Day, right? It's my day, so I get to get on. I already got to, you know share the beautiful gift Parker gave me, so I guess you can handle it. So we gravitate unconsciously because you live 75% out of what you don't think right now. It's what you've already thought, judged, and discerned in you through your life experiences. You really have to consciously live out of that 25% to change that 75% to catch it up. So what we think about someone or something or a situation will determine what's in here unconsciously will will determine who or what we side with on a lot of situations. Now, I'm not here to tell you what you're siding on or not siding on is right or wrong. I'm not even here to tell you what you think is right or wrong. I just want you to know never, never forfeit your third option. So let's, let's take a today illustration of this last week. So we had a gentleman named Richard, I think it was, right? Who was shot by a police officer in Atlanta. So let's say this chair, chair represents the police officer, right? And this is the man that took that man's life. So whenever we look at this chair and he created this action, This chair represents those that side with the police officer. What they, everybody saw the same video, right? But this group says, hey, I saw that video and that man came back and took his taser and all this stuff. So, you know, I have to say I hate it. It's horrible, but I guess he had to do what he had to do. They side with that police officer. This chair says, heck no. I saw the same video, you're crazy, and 
I saw that man turn and run. I saw him shot. And no, I do not side with that police officer. Whether they believe some police officer is good or not, it doesn't matter. I don't side with that. But I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I know what I saw. You saw what you have seen in the past. And if you're not careful, it will muddy up what you're seeing in your reality. For instance, could there be, I'm not saying this particular police officer, I'm not judging that case, but just say if this police officer say he really did do it badly, if you 99% of the time agree with the police officer, would you really, it'd be hard for you to see anything that was wrong. But if you've been over here in the background where you've seen people, you know, mistreated, maybe you've been mistreated, you might think most police officers are not good. You might think most police officers are good. That's beside the point. So that's your view, right? Everybody's entitled to your perception. Whether you like it or not, that's your perception. Whether I like your perception or not, you're still my neighbor. Whether I agree with who you vote for or not, you're still my neighbor. Whether if you vote for somebody stupid or not, according to me, I have to, what? Choose to love you just as you are, not the way I think you should be. And I got to pray for our unity. Does this help us? So look at this option. So we got for, against. Two options, right? Say, well, what's that crazy preacher got two more chairs? That, that other chair just must be a Jesus chair. Huh. Here's, here's what 99% of the people don't get. The fourth chair is the Satan chair. And he's not just going to come out and say, worship me. He's not just going to come out and say, let me, you know, do a shell trick and show you what the video really is. He, he, he's not going to change any facts. You saw what you saw in the video, right? You saw it. How many of you, raise your hand if you saw that video on the news or a piece of it? It's okay, you can do that. Don't get all, raise your hand if you did. If you didn't, you lied. Just raise your hand if you did. Raise it out, one, two, three. Just so we know. Majority of the people, right? So, this chair represents Satan. Satan is not saying putting a spell or a hex on you. He's not making you see something that you saw in your childhood that you never knew was there. No, he's giving you an option and you can take it or not. You know what his option is? Choose a side. Because once you choose a side, dude, that's it. That's your team. Choose a side. That police officer didn't do it. Choose a side. Once you choose it, you can't go back. Because that's your team now, right? Oh, but I, I believe the police officer did it. He don't care. He don't care. He just wants you to choose a side. Because if you choose a side, one group's here, one group's here. Everybody's forgot about this. Where's God in this? Whether this is guilty or not, it'll go through the court system, may get it right, may not. Whatever happens, happens. But the worst thing is, nobody's going to go back and bring a person back to life. Right? So either way, two lives and families are destroyed. But we, the church, here we sit. Listen to the devil. 
Which side did you take? But preacher, I have a right to take a side. You do. You can take a side and be ticked off, angry, upset, offended. And not love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you love this police officer. Even if he did something good or evil. You love the man that his life was taken. Whether he did something good or evil. Whether it's his fault or his fault. As a Christian, do you have a right to pick a side? Now, I'm not saying that someone shouldn't be go through justice and put in prison or put to death, whatever it is, whatever the law of the land is. I'm just saying for you and me, the church, if we can't come into unity, who the heck are you telling Jesus' story to? If it's so important to you to be right, and you're not even sitting on the jury, but it's important for you to be right. Talk to all you out there. Don't hide on your sofa. Get, get, get out of the kitchen. Get there and sit down and listen to me. Talk to everybody. I didn't know a dead man had rights. A dead woman had rights. Because when I'm a Christian, I'm born again. I'm dead in me and alive in Christ. That decision trumps every decision at that point, even if I believe, think, upset, feel, doesn't come close to the first decision I made that's forever. Both these people got to be my neighbors. Wow. Oh. Forgive who? Could you imagine what went through Mary's mind? They stripped you. They beat you. I can't recognize you. You're bleeding. You're swollen. You're taking your last breath. And the last thing you can whisper out, forgive them. Here's why though. For they know not what they do. You know what that's really saying, friends? It's a whole lot better for those that don't know what they're doing, doing something stupid, than it is you and me, the church, knowing what not to do and doing it anyway. I think our church looks a lot like heaven. We could look more like heaven. We could have more nationalities in here. We have a lot of different ethnicities and backgrounds and stuff, more than 99.9% of churches in America. It's not always been easy. It's not always been easy pastor a church where people vote different. It's not always been indifferent pastor a church where people are black, white, Asian, mixed, different, Hispanic. It's not always easy pastor a church where some are documented, some are not documented. It's not always easy pastor a church where some are addicted, some are not, some die, overdose, some you could say. Some are straight, some are not. I'm not here to judge if somebody goes to heaven. The only one I can judge is me. Judge yourself lest ye you be not judged, is what Jesus said in that day. You're not living for now. You're living for then. This is a dress rehearsal. You know, they'll say, you got an opinion? So what? Everybody has one. You know where it is. It's not here. 
Because your opinion, if you don't ever challenge your opinions and what you see, I'm not saying you didn't see. Yes. No, he's not guilty. Yes, he's guilty. I'm not saying that. That's easy stuff to see for you. I'm saying, do you see the third option? Because here's what Satan's doing. He's just sitting here laughing at the church. He's destroyed, and the other person over here that was killed is destroyed, and the church is split. What's the third option? So you got the first two options. What? You can believe what you believe. Right? Or the second option is you can decide. You can, you can believe us one or you can decide to be divided. That's the two options you have. Here's the third option. You can believe what you see, but it's second to what you see. I said, you can believe what you see, but it's secondary to what you see. What you see is fact to you, and it could be the real reality. But it doesn't trump what you see here. When you do what Jesus would do and become one with him, then you become a force that can make a difference. The third option is grace. I'm going to grace someone that doesn't believe what I believe. I'm going to grace someone that doesn't talk the way I talk. I'm going to grace someone that doesn't see what I see. I'm going to grace someone that doesn't vote the way I vote. I'm going to grace someone that's different than me. Because that's the third option. Jesus. Grace. How many of you think the body of Christ has been falling for some bait lately? Isn't that right? You got to choose a side, don't you? Don't let the enemy do that to you. Choose God's side. You know what Jesus' side is? To bring redemption to this man's family and to bring redemption to that man's family and have them all in heaven together. That's his goal. Yeah, but you don't understand. You're right, I don't. Because there's decisions like that that I have to battle all the time as a pastor. You ever have somebody that has more than one child and you got a dispute going and you got to make a decision? Sometimes it hurts you to do what you know is right and make the right decision because you know it's going to hurt the other child. And sometimes you may not. You may even say, no, nah, I agree with this one when you know that the other one's right just because that one can handle it and this one's not, it's fragile right now. You should be a pastor during this time. We got to be separated with masks. 80% of your people at home because kids still can't have children's ministry and the others are elderly or they got, you know, sickness or in fear, whatever, but legitimate concerns with health. But you still... You got to believe for finances. You still got to believe for anointing. You still got to believe for unity. You still got to believe for power and strength. You still got to believe that the church is the hope of the world. You still got to believe that we can do this, that we can get through it. 
But we got sheep scattered because they can't sit together, can't give high fives, and can't worship at the altar together. You got sheep scattered because they, they can't be in a sanctuary, so they don't go to the sanctuary. Hmm. You got sheep scattered because the election's coming up. You got sheep scattered because there will be another tragedy, just like you said. Paul and them said it, didn't they? Here we are. Andrea said it. You know, as much as this breaks my heart, there'll be another one a week later, two weeks later, another one, right? You think there won't be another one? There will be. And another one. So are you going to go through this emotional routine and get all fired up and spout off and kill your influence over and over and over and over again, and then you're in your prayer time, and you fast once a year, you know, the first year, and get yourself ready for the new stuff that year, and the Holy Spirit convicts you about his co-mission. You're joined with him, commissioned together to win the lost. How can the blind lead the blind? I said, how can the blind lead the blind? Because I might go to heaven, but if I'm blind, I can't see the people I'm supposed to reach. Because I have no impact. I have no influence. I've thrown it away. When you get to heaven, is God going to say, look behind you, Dalton, how many did you bring with you? Or is he going to say, hey, Dalton, you were right 93% of the time? I don't know. Which question do you think he's going to ask Dalton? What about you? What question is he going to ask you? So, I said that, but I thought this is a great illustration for our world, our nation, if we want our nation to be in unity. But think about this. If you want your family to be in unity, don't always let the devil make you choose which kid is right or wrong. Try to find common ground and love them, same, and bring them into oneness with the family. But, if you don't love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and strength, you probably won't do that very well because you're human. And you won't do it very well either when you do that, but then you have the grace factor that brings you through it and makes them healed and better than you after all. So when I hear the screaming and yelling, pointing fingers, yeah, you got a good point, you got a good point, you got a good point, you got a good point. I'm not a referee. I'm like you. I, I, I got to ping pong it in my mind and get it, and then finally I just have to give it to God. Don't eliminate the grace factor. Isn't that what we're saved by, grace? I mean, you could take any topic. You can take social justice. You can take abortion. And we could sit here and ping pong it all. Both produce death. So why should we choose a side? Injustice, social justice, and poverty is wrong. Abortion is wrong. They both produce death and death. But the Christians debate over which one's more evil. They're both evil. Get over it. And become one. Become one. Become one and stand together. I mean, Jesus did it with 12. We got a 1,000 people at Cause Place Home. What could we do if 200 got it? 
Becoming one doesn't mean you lay your history down. Becoming one doesn't mean you, you know, you lay your ideas and what you think you see down. Becoming one means we're going to come together and be the best we can as one for God and let him work on all of our hearts so our heart is one. Our spirit is one. Our vision is one. You know how you don't see Dr. King in any of this mess on either side? Any movement that's been since he's done it. It's because he was one with the Father's heart. And he knew how to lead others to become one with his heart. So if you want to make a difference with your, with your community that's black or white or Asian or Hispanic or in authority or not in authority or the police or not the police, you don't need to necessarily attach to a group. You got to attach hearts and souls. And when you attach heart and souls, the strength will help you get the mind right and get you flowing in the right direction. Listen, listen, listen. You don't have a right to be right. Did y'all hear me out there in social media world? You do not have a right to be right when you're a child of God. He's the only one that is righteous. And if we are going to be righteous, we're going to be one with him. Do you think he picked a side? Do you think he picked a side? Yeah, he did. He picked both sides because both sides make a whole. Both sides make one. We, the church, have to give up our right to be right. Well, that just means if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. No, you've already fell for stuff. You don't stand for something. Ooh, this is good. Feel like Mark Keene. If I could just do a big whoop, I would right here. Can't get that high anymore my Top of my head, fly off. <laughs> Just think about that. If you could be one, you're not here to unite with someone. You're here to unite, unite with the one. You're not here to become one with a group, one with a leader, a preacher, or anybody else. You're here to become one with him. We are to be one as he is one. That's where true unity is, is when we're one with the Father. And then we will affect both sides. But if we keep doing this, people, well, it must be the end of times. I just want to slap people, profiliers that say that. I just want to slap them. It must be. That's everybody's excuse. Get me out of here, Gertrude. It's the end of times. I think he said he was coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. And I think the bride's laying in a stinking mud hole right now. She ain't even made it to the, to the coach, let alone the chapel. The bride is muddy, messy, and messed up. And me and you, we that girl. Ooh, that'd be a good series. We that girl. 
We that girl. We that bride. Yeah, but these people didn't do this or they didn't do that. You know why pigs wallow in mud? To cool them down, don't they, Paul? Because they have no uh, pores. The pores can't breathe, can't take the oxygen. So they, they, they can't perspire to let what's in them that's poisonous out. They got to roll around in that mud to get their skin moving around to get that poison like we do. We can sweat poison out. We work out, get stuff out. They can't, so they got to cool down, but they also rub around that mud to get things working to get it worked out. That girl needs to get out of the mud. She needs to get out of the pig, the pig pen. That girl needs to rise up and let the one that can get rid of the spot and the blemish and the wrinkle and press her garments. Isn't it interesting so much is focused on the bride's appearance and not the dude's, right? Thank God for that. But anyway, you're happy for that, aren't you, Parker? So, I was. So, all this attention, they don't go, oh, look at that groom. Go, oh, there she comes, there she comes. That's all. They don't stand for the groom. They're standing for her, right? Here comes the bride. Even if they don't know what's on the inside of her, they stand, they want to see what she's, her garments are and how she wears them. So until the church gets its garments right, there ain't going to be no second coming of the Lord, dude. He's not coming back for some mess. He, he already picked a side. It's his. And his alone. And until you and I pick his side and grace instead of choose division and love instead of being right, be righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, sit down. I told Parker I was going to show that picture. Well, you do. I said, I got the microphone. I can do what I want. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in here and you say, I, I need some work, I'm a little spotty and wrinkled here, I'm a whatever person or good or not, whatever, it doesn't matter about that, but, but I got some things in my garments that I need grace in. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Maybe it's misunderstanding, maybe it's anger, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's hurt, maybe it's fear, I don't know, but you, your garment, you at home do this too, your garment, your you need the Holy Spirit to press your garment. You need your appearance before the Father worked on a little bit. Just imagine for just a second, if you went out here and took a turn and someone came around the curve and hit your car and took you to heaven, and you're standing in front of the Father, how would you want to look? Would you want to be right or righteous? And I'm going to count to three. Be honest with me. I've been honest with you. And my perception doesn't mean it's right. You can tell me, I, I mean, I wouldn't advise you to tell me I'm an idiot. You might try it, but you can't. You can say it. But I, I think I pretty well hit a mark here because it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, you can pick and choose. See, here's the problem. You could say, well, 80% of what he said is good, but that other 20%, that's all you can think about. You might be mad about one thing I said out of 99 things, out of 100 things. See, that's proof you got some pressing that needs to be done on your garment. Because if you get upset without even hearing someone talk, 
you need some work done. And listen, until we get it right here in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, until we get this right, guys, we're not going to see righteousness. We're not going to see the power of the God. We're not going to see a move of God to bring in this end time. I believe God wants to bring a move to bring in this end time, and he can do it quick, but it starts with me and you. So if you say, Holy Spirit, I need a little work, and then we're going to pray. If that's you, I'm already standing. I'm the first one to stand. One, two, three. I know I need work. I don't know about you. One, two, three. At home, here, in the sanctuary, wherever you are, stand. I need a little work. I need a little shaping on this heart. I need a little shaping on this garment I'm wearing. I just need a little work, Lord. I just need a little work. I want to I see people the way you see them, Lord. I, I want to perceive people the way, Father, you perceive them. I want to feel people, Father, the way you feel them. I want to love people, Father, the way you love them. I want to love people that don't love me. I want to like people that don't love me. I want to influence people that don't even want to be around me. I want to bring eternal difference in their lives right now. Just put your hands out in front of you and turn your palms up to receive. That's the way in the Hebrew you receive. You at home do the same. Father, right now we just come before you. We give it all to you, Lord. We're not smart enough to figure this out. Oh, yeah. Our evidence. What's our evidence? But we have grace. I repent, and I'm sure everyone with their hands up is repenting, and you guys can repent too. We repent, Father. We got blood on our hands. Our opinions represent our blood. We got blood on our hands. Help us to serve you. Help us to grace like you. Help us to listen more than we talk. Help us to have greater influence. Help us to be your fathers. Help us make this a father generation instead of a fatherless generation. Heal our land. Heal our hearts, our minds, our cities, our nations. Heal our police. Heal our protesters. Heal those in the middle, those on each side. Father, make us one. You said... You started this nation, one nation under one God, indivisible. We should not be divided. Lord, bring the church to be one so our nation can be one. And we know our nation, the ethnos of this beautiful people group of over 100 nationalities in one nation, becoming one nation under you. Help the church to get it right. Forgive me for anything I've said as a pastor or leader that's ever offended or held back your vision, Lord. Get us in line with your vision, your dream, just like you did Martin Luther King, Lord. He he got it. He heard it. And I know, God, you're not looking to raise up one man. This is different. You're raising up men and women and sons and daughters and children and grandchildren. Raise us all up as a mighty army of grace, love, and hope. So we can release faith to save our nation. And so our nation can be a saving place for the world. So thank you, Daddy. Because we love you so much. We give it all to you. Lord, we
we just renew the fact that we love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Now, Father, give us that same love, unity, and strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you, Daddy, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.